From the Raptors, the NCAA, and around the NBA, Toronto basketball fans, this is your home court with Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, and Josh Lewinberg on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Josh Lundberg, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak. We've got a really good show for you today at 1.30. Jerry Stackhouse in a pre-tape. It won't be live. We'll hear from him ahead of the 9.05 opening up their G League season at 1.45. Jack Armstrong will join us to talk everything Raptors. Looking back at that road trip and looking ahead to this week's matchup. And at 2.30, Seku Smith, who covers everything to do with the NBA. He'll join us to talk a multitude of things. Let's jump into it, gentlemen. The six-game road trip has finally come to an end. The boys are back at town. They're back in their home beds. 14 days have come and gone. They finish at 3-3. Three and three. That's what you both predicted last week on the show. Your plus-minuses when you look at this road trip or even just looking at the last couple of games against Utah and Denver. Well, Josh, you got more practices now. They're back in town. Can't be happy about that. I mean, you're happy, but you know. It feels like it's been like a year. It feels like last, it feels like the season hasn't started, to be honest. It was so bizarre because, of course, they spent so much time away from Toronto during the preseason in uh, Victoria and then Hawaii. And then they went to Portland for the preseason game. They come home for what, like a minute? And And then those games were like preseason games in Toronto. Right. So I'm sure they're thrilled to be home, traveling back today, getting a much deserved sort of day of rest, going into what will be a very big game against maybe the John Wallace Wizards tomorrow. But I think overall, if we're talking pluses, I'll be general and, and say that my plus is the road trip. These are, are very tough long West Coast trips, as we know, especially to have it at the beginning of the season when you're still building chemistry and figuring out rotations. Six games in 12 days, uh, including visits to four playoff teams last year and one team in Denver that nearly made the playoffs and is expected to this year. That, of course, includes the conference finalists, the team that won the championship in Golden State, and all through it, they were only at full strength for one of those games. Ironically, the worst game that they played in Denver. So a very tough trip, and all things considered, I think coming out of it, 3-on-3 three three in the trip, 5-3 and three in the season is a success. Definitely agree with you. Um, mine's more specific, though. Definitely um, must have been talked about the starting lineup in terms of how their effectiveness or being back to who they were in the second has been great. But Norm Powell, obviously in the last yeah. game, 5 for 7, uh, 2 for 4 for 3, 2 steals, a plus 7. Looking like the Norm Powell we've seen last year and what we're hoping to see this season. And I think, you know, he's very important for this team to get back in the form because he's that other guy outside of there also is a good defender. You know, it was a point where I was thinking, does this guy need to play with the second unit to kind of find his rhythm? But hoping he has. Obviously in Denver games, a lot of garbage time. He got the points back, but he looked a lot better tonight uh, against against Utah, and I think um, that's a positive for me. It, it started in the second half against Portland. So over the last two and a half games, Norman Powell, a total of 37 points, 14 for 22 from the field, 5 for 12 from three. Very good, especially because the previous four and a half games, just 13 points 
in four and a half games, four for 25 from the field, and missed all nine of his three-point attempts. So you can see it. The confidence is up, but Dwayne, what I like about Norman Powell, what I know Dwayne Casey loves about Norman Powell, is even when the shot's not falling, the the energy on the defensive end has been there. He's been one of the Raptors' better defenders so far early in the season, and he's actually a second on the team in plus-minus right now. Wow. I thought he would have been first. Who's first? Uh, the rookie, OG Ananobi, oh. has jumped him. Wow. Now a team leading plus 52 for OG. Okay. Minutes are a play there, too, but definitely that's still impressive. But let's throw some more pluses out there while we're talking about OG and even Norm. I mean, the, the, the youth, I think, is the big takeaway here on this trip, right? Because, I mean, they knew, the Raptors did, and we knew that... Whatever happened on this road trip wasn't going to make or break their season. But I I think you can learn a lot from a stretch in the schedule like this. The major question mark going into it was, can they count on their young second unit? And I think in that regard, they did learn a lot. They learned that, yes, a lot of these guys are ready for the spotlight. OG's been fantastic. Norman Powell's starting to get things going. But how about Jakob Pertl? Uh, who's seen his minutes cut a little bit over the last couple of games, and we'll talk about the rotation and all these all the center depth that they suddenly have. But Siakam has been great. Bebe has been great. Uh, so I, I think coming back home and being able to uh, really rely on those guys now moving forward is, is a big takeaway here coming off this trip. You touch on that, and I know we're going to talk about it later, but that brings me to my mind. It's, it's the rotations. I think um, there's been a... A luxury of riches in terms of having tons of the young big step up when needed, which is great. But also now that everyone's back, I think you know Coach Casey has to scale it back in terms of finding the proper minutes for guys to kind of be successful and get that rhythm. You know, we saw obviously even in the Utah game where you know Baby got you know significant minutes um, in relation to what he's been getting for the season. Not that he doesn't deserve them, but I feel it's almost at the at the risk of Jakob Pertl, a guy who has to get those minutes to get out there. So. I like the rotation to get solidified a bit, and once that happens, you know, I'll feel better. It's a little bit too much right now. And, and, I mean, depth is a great thing to have, but you've got to manage it correctly. I don't think it's the reason why they lost in Denver. I think they lost in Denver because yes. they, as Jonas Valanciunas, so articulate, uh, articul- I can't even say the word. Articulately? Thank you, Megan. Um, put it the other day, they played like kids. And then he said, no offense to kids. I love that. <laughs> I love that. JV with the one-liners. They played terrible defense in Denver. That's why they lost. But it didn't help that they also rotated between 12 guys. Right. It seemed like players were out there for two, three-minute stretches at a time. We couldn't even keep track of who was on the floor. And it's really tough to get into rhythm that way, to build up any kind of confidence or even chemistry with the unit yep. you're playing with when you're out there with different guys almost every minute. So, I, I mean, they were fortunate, I guess, in a sense, <laughs> that C.J. Miles was out of the lineup yesterday, allowing them to really utilize Pascal Siakam, who's been awesome, and play 11 guys. But at some point, they're going to have to make a decision here because it's really tough to play more than 10 guys on any given night. So when you look at the week, and obviously you guys mentioned the rotations, would that be your takeaway as a minus, or is there something else you guys are looking at for the the road trip, especially the Denver, the Utah um, last two games that we've seen more recently? What would be your minus since, Dwayne, you mentioned that the rotation is your minus? Yeah, I mean, there there were a number of minuses, to be honest, and that's what's so interesting about a long road trip like this it's a mixed bag, right? And it's it was such an emotional roller coaster for this team where you're hanging in tough with two really good teams in San Antonio and Golden State. 
that's a positive, I guess, but it's also a negative in the sense that they could have and arguably should have come away with at least one of those wins. The loss in Denver was a major negative. Those things happen, those nights happen, and to their credit, they bounce back. But you, you can't have those nights. And I loved Dwayne Casey and Kyle Lowry coming out after that loss, really taking ownership, calling the loss embarrassing. Uh, so I think that that's something that you learn from. But yeah, I mean, the, the rotation thing is something they're going to have to figure out now that they're coming back home. I think they have to tighten it up to 10. The question is, how do they do that? Because I, I'm not sure how you look at a guy like Pascal Siakam, who has been fantastic over the last five games. All of them, he's played more than 20 minutes and averages 12.4 points over that stretch and say, and say, okay, time to go back to the bench. Right. Yeah, Even Nagara, he's been excellent. Yeah. But Pascal Siakam, sorry, uh, Jakob Pertl has done nothing to deserve a demotion being mm-hmm. sent to the bench. He's only played 12 minutes yep. in each of the last two games. So, yeah, I mean, it's a blessing having that kind of depth, but it's with great power comes great <laughs> responsibility, <laughs> yeah. right? To yeah. quote Spider-Man's <laughs> uncle. Yeah, Ben Parker. Yeah, and it, it's, it's funny because during the broadcast, uh, Matt and Jack in the Denver game, Jack made a point, and it, it kind of has stuck with me, you have an 82-game season, five games, you're going to go into someone's house, you're going to blow them out, just annihilate them. Five games, you might come into someone's house or they might come to your house and they're going to annihilate you. It's what you do in those other 72 games that really tells the story. And Denver just happened to be one of those of that 10 that you either blow someone out or get blown out and get just swept off the floor. But you both mentioned the rotations, and Josh, you just mentioned him, Jakob Pertl. Is it, there, there was... A little, you know, hoopla and, you know, people being disappointed that in looking at the rotation, Casey, instead of, you know, when he goes to his bench to bring in someone for JV, instead of going to Bebe off the bench, he went to Jakob Pertl. And people, for some reason, are up in arms about going to one over the other. But in my opinion, it, becomes, it, it, some, it can become situational. And when you're a head coach, you can know in the first few minutes of a game who you need to bring in off the bench for your big guy based on who you're playing on the floor and what that team is doing and how you're going to be able to counteract them defensively and offensively. I think, uh, well, I agree with you in terms of situational play. I think like Jakob's kind of earned that right to be the first big off the bench based on how he's playing and yep. his defense and his hands and, and what he does. So for me, it's like I personally think Jakob should be the first big off the bench. And right. this is a knock his baby because he's played great and I, I personally think Baby is a great guy um, but I think that Jakob has earned the right to be that guy so when I see Coach Casey go to Bebe um, and especially like we talk about this all the time he's a creature of habit he likes his consistency so you know you kind of know what to expect if you're playing on this team or when you're going to find your spot you know if someone's hurt that's my opportunity to kind of take it and run with it but I think like Jakob has become that guy and deservedly so so when he goes to Bebe off the top I'm wondering why that right. is, especially when Baby will likely probably be on a short leash. But then that means that Jakob's got to come in and clean the mess. So for me personally, I think Jakob should be that guy, and that's why I mentioned rotations. Like if if he's your guy, then he's your guy, and Baby will come in when the situation calls for him to come in, but not before that. Thank I, you for correcting me. I meant to say they went okay. to Baby first, not Jakob. Sorry about that. I happen to agree with you in the sense that it would be Jakob for me to. just based on, <laughs> well, yeah, it's okay. uh, right. just based on how good Pirtle has been particularly on the defensive end, but also how consistent he's been. I I would agree with you in that sense, but I think one way or the other, whether, and this is why I say happen to agree, whether it is Pirtle or Bebe, 
I just think you have to make a call. Right now, Casey's hedging, and he has over the last couple games where you're playing all three guys, but instead of actually going to one of the backup centers and saying, run with the job, this is yours to lose, let's see what you got, they're in there each for like 12-minute stretches over a game, three, four-minute stretches at a time, and as I said, it's really tough to get into any kind of groove that way, so... I mean, I think you have to make a call. Over the last couple of games, Casey has sort of said going in that he's going to expand the rotation because of the altitude in Denver and then in Utah. So it was sort of expected that we saw JV starting, Bebe come in midway through the first, Jakob starting the second quarter. But it's going to be interesting now that they return home, got Washington mm-hmm. tomorrow. How does Casey manage the rotation now? Yeah, more forward? importantly, just lastly to add to that, you know, Bebe's used to be on the floor knowing that if he makes a mistake, he's going to get pulled. And I think for these players, you can't be, unless, of course, there's an injury where he knows he's getting the minutes. So like now with everyone there, you're playing like almost second-guessing yourself where it's like, if I make a mistake, I know Jakob's healthy is going to come in. So I think mentally, you want to know what you can get to as a player and know that you can get those minutes. When we return on home court, we'll talk the poll question. Head to TSN 1050 on Twitter to get your votes in. It is... It's gonna, it, it might spark a little controversy. And keep in mind, the dark guy and Todd Shapiro show follows us up coming up at 3 p.m. right here on TSN 1050. You're listening to Home Court right here on TSN 1050. DeRozan in the post against Harris, got it. Turns on the near block left side, knocks down a 10 footer. Easy for DeRozan. And now Lowry picks Jamal Murray's pocket and he'll take it back the other way and lay it up and in. Four quick points for the Raptors. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 studios. Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewenberg here with you this afternoon on home court. Keep in mind, we'll have Jack Armstrong joining us at 145 and at 230 NBA contributor Sekou Smith will join us to talk all things NBA. And gentlemen, we've got the poll question out this week at TSN 1050 on 1050 radio on the Twitterverse. And the poll question, who is the best duo in the NBA today? Durant Curry, DeRozan Lowry, Wall Beal, Westbrook George. We kind of went this route because, as I mentioned, Sekou Smith will join us at 2.30. He did an article before the season started kind of breaking down his opinion on the best duos in the NBA. So I wanted, you know, we wanted to tie that question in and talk a little bit since we'll have a chance to talk to Sekou last, later on in the show. But there's just so many duos that when you've got a poll, we would almost have to put out like four poll questions just to get all of the guys out there. But I figured, you know, when you look at the, the, this list, it's guys that they've played. It's guys that they'll see later on in the season. They'll still see Beal and Wall, hopefully with an asterisk for Wall beside his name uh, tomorrow at the ACC. But it, it's tough when you look at a list like this because things can factor into it. But I know during the break we were, you know, doing a little bit of green room and kind of just talking about it. Your thoughts on the poll question, because right now Durant and Curry lead with 69%, Westbrook and George with 20%. It's been a while since we've had a runaway poll question like this in terms of, you know, how lopsided it's been, obviously with Durant and Curry, 69%, who I voted for. Um, Talking best duos, I mean, I think... You know, this is like not, I mean, the best backcourt conversation has been one that's kind of been had over the few years, whatever. Mm-hmm. But best duo, it's like we're talking Shaq and Kobe. We're talking about Magic and Kareem. I mean, that's, that's our, those are legacy questions. Yes. But I think in the NBA right now, I think, you know, two of the top five players play on one team and go say Warriors. I would love to go hot take here, devil's advocate, <laughs> and maybe stir up some trouble. But, I mean, let's face it. If they spend enough time together, mm-hmm. Durant and 
Steph might end up being the best duo of all time. I don't think you can make that argument right now. I know some people have just based on the talent and their ability and and how unique of a combination they are together. And certainly they're one for one in terms of NBA championships. But when you mention all those guys, the legacy guys, the the Jordan and Pippen and Magic and Kareem, all those guys, the amount of time that they spent playing together, I, I think that factors into the conversation. So we'll see how long the Steph KD duo stays together. But in terms of the right now, the present, there, there's no question that it's the Warriors duo. It becomes a more interesting conversation when you narrow it down to backcourt because then obviously Lowry and DeRozan have a case to be made because they've been together so long and they've been so good together for so long. I think even in that case, it would still be the Warriors backcourt of Steph and Clay, but and this is a conversation that always seems to come up when the Raptors and the Wizards play because we know how vocal John Wall and Bradley Beal have been right. yep. about thinking that they're the best backcourt. I still think it's Lowry and DeRozan second behind Clay and Steph. Uh, Beal and, and Wall, I mean, they haven't been as good as they are right now together for that long. Remember how much time over the last few years Bradley Beal has missed with injury. Yep. And you know, you look at it too, it's like when we talk about best duos, and you know, probably time has a lot to do with it, but all those guys we referred to kind of have played with, like they play with each other, like off one another. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Stockton Malone, the pick and roll, magic feeding. And Curry and Durant kind of don't, obviously play on the same team, but they don't necessarily like set each other up in that right. kind of traditional way we look at duos. Um, but you know, you're right. It's, it's funny because, you know, and if talk about injuries, Chris Paul. And James Harden could be part of that conversation. They haven't actually that, played together. That's why yeah. we didn't but put them are, on the Of course, the of course. Yeah. But those are two great players. So Kyrie and Hayward would be another duo, but yeah, theoret- Gordon going theoretical. down. Right. Gordon going down, you have to take them out of that equation because again, injuries. So and and that's obviously what you know, when you look at what Seiku wrote at the beginning of the season, you can ask him now what his thoughts would be on that exact same list now that injuries have played a part and can be put into that conversation. Really quickly, we had um, sound from last night with DeRozan. And I want to play the sound and then get your guys' takes before we go to the break. And it's about the three-point shot. One of the things, I don't think about it. You know, me, I never really... Made it a big deal to shoot threes, but I never felt like I couldn't, you know. So it's just my thing is just to get into the spots and treating it like a bucket, you know. I never look at it if I'm behind the line or in front of the line, you know. I just got to score at that moment. So whatever, whatever it is, I got to be ready for it. Well, it's clear that he's not looking at the line because how many threes have he ha- has he had or long twos, I should say, right. where they've called him stepping on the line over the last couple of years. But when you hear that. And then you know you we know DeRozan's game. How important is the three for the Raptors? After <laughs> like when you hear that sound, no, I'm not just yes, I'm not just saying DeRozan only, but as a as an entire unit, how important is the three ball for the Raptors? It, it's really big based on the fact that they're taking an incredible amount of threes this year. I mean, that's part of their offense now. They're among the league leaders in attempts, um, and they're in the lower half of and three-point percentage. So um, we've talked about this before, where if they're knocking down a decent clip, I mean, they're what, 31% right, right now, Josh? But if they're knocking yep. down a decent Second clip... Second to last in the league. Thank you. <laughs> Which is that's, that's the bigger statement. If they're knocking down a decent clip, 
it changed the dynamic of a lot of ball games for them. It obviously allows their offense to flow a lot better. So, I mean, I think for DeMar, who really isn't, he's never made his game about that and never tried to make those shots. It's probably not a big deal. But I think for Coach Casey, he would like for this team to be a better three-point shooting team. Well, first of all, how ironic is it that the Raptors go 11 for 30 from three yesterday, which is pretty good. That's yeah. actually their second best three-point shooting game of the season so far in terms of percentage, all of it without C.J. Miles, by yeah. far their best three-point shooter in the lineup. Yeah. But we th- we saw it in the third quarter where DeRozan hit three consecutive trays in a row. I'm not sure he's ever done that in his career. Uh, Norman Powell hit a couple. Ibaka, uh, even uh, O.G. Ananobi. Yeah. That shot's not pretty, but it- it's been okay to start his career. He knocks one down. It's huge for the team. In terms of DeRozan, that's a great question, Megan. It's one we ask all the time. How big is the three-point shot for DeRozan's game? I actually don't think it's crucial. I think the biggest next step for DeMar is becoming a better defensive player. And it's encouraging that we're starting to see that. He's been playing better defense this season than I think we've seen him play in a while. Uh, He's been one of their better perimeter defenders, with the exception, obviously, of a few games, one of them being the one in Denver. But I think for him, if he can become a more consistent defender, that, to me, makes him a far better player than what adding the three-ball would. Now, ideally, you'd like to have both. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about Clay Thompson, and we thought he'd be the best two-way player. If DeMar can add the defensive element to his game, he's definitely within that conversation. Right. It'll be interesting to see how they fare throughout... The rest of the season when it comes to the three ball. Keep in mind the next Raptors game on TSN 1050 Thursday, November 9th. Tip off set for 730 at the ACC. We get to see Big Boogie Cousins and AD, the project of the two centers playing together right here on 1050. Keep it locked. We've got more home court right here on the station. Miles inside to Perna. What a catch. Lays it up and in. Man, Odell Beckham Jr. would have been proud of that one, Jacko. <laughs> Stuck that left mid out. Stabbed it, and the soft baby hook. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Josh Lewenberg, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak here with you on home court. And we heard some of the sound from one of the multitude of games that Jakob Pertl has shown. He has probably, I would think, actually, out of the bigs on the team, the, the best hands. In my opinion. Yeah, I don't know about you good. guys. Really <laughs> Lucas good. is pretty impressive, too, in his ability to finish around the bucket. But, yeah, I mean, that's the, a pretty crucial skill for a, a pair of young bigs to have, Pearl and Bebe both, to be able to have that soft touch around the rim. Both of them can shoot, too, which is nice, a little bit. Yeah, and we got to see, Dino Five fans got to see a little bit of Bianca Pertle last season. Media Day was actually Tuesday for the 905. I got to sit down and talk with head coach Jerry Stackhouse. They open their 905 season tomorrow in Grand Rapids against the drive later on in the afternoon. And then the home opener will be on Wednesday. If you don't have tickets, go get a ticket because the first 4,000 fans get a replica championship ring. Not a bad giveaway for fans if you're some hardware. If you're trying, if you're trying to get and see some basketball, but I, I had a chance to talk to Stackhouse and we talked a little bit about everything when it comes to the season. But the one thing we really touched on, and, and you'll hear from him, was the development and what they want to do with these guys at the start of the season and throughout this season, and not just focusing on winning. The same thing that we did last year. We wanted to be able to come in and develop. You know, that's what we're here for, to develop guys, try to, you know, get them better. All of them have some deficiency to the point that where they weren't drafted or um, they're still trying to get over a hurdle to get to that next level. So, I mean, even our two-way guys, 
who they're still kind of one foot in and one foot out. We want to kind of help them get both feet in and then at least get the rest of these guys to get at least a foot in. So, I mean, that's, the, that's who we want to be. And I think the best way to, to do that and to get people's attention is to win. And I think if we would, you know, that was the selling message last year. Let's, let's sacrifice a little bit. Let's, let's win, give ourselves an opportunity to be seen and showcase at the end of the season. Everybody's kind of focusing in on probably their teams, the scouts, the GMs. They're focusing on their teams right now in the early part of the season. But when that kind of calms down and they figure out whether their team is going to be pretty good or, or not, now they're going to start looking for, for talent. And when they start coming out looking for those talents, we want to be one of those teams that's still playing and being around so we can can showcase ourselves. And I think that's um, that's the approach. Nothing changes. You know, we understand it's a grind. we got to lay down the foundation. We can't skip any steps. So from a coaching standpoint, um, i got to make sure that, that they understand that, that we got to, you know, player development, getting here and um, getting these guys better, having them understanding um, where they're going to get their shots from and things not being random from. I think guys tend to have more success when there's less randomness. you got to play out of randomness in basketball, but when you have more of a, a, a scheme, a blueprint of what you're doing, and I think you, you know, it, it tends to, to lend to more success. You've had a year experience just dealing with the way the D-League and now the G-League goes with you know players being sent up and down from the big club you saw a lot of Fred last year uh, Pascal we saw at some points we even saw Jakob for a game um, the challenge is this year now that you also add in the two-way contract guys um, and affiliate players how are you going to be able to utilize your your one experience heading into this year with those added challenges well I think um, you know as we're approaching it as an organization, we don't want guys to sit too long and it becomes a numbers game with somebody over there, you know, eventually. But right now, you know, OG's playing and, you know, Pascal wasn't playing. Now he's playing a little bit. So I think as that kind of figures itself out, I mean, Alfonso McKinney, I mean, he's going to be with us, you know, quite a bit as well. So I think guys like that, we're factor into the picture too. And that changes our talent level up a big notch having a guy like that. So uh, from from that standpoint, we just you know we just just keep grinding on. I, I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about who we were having or who was getting sent down. You know, we just know that you know we're here for them. You know, and when they're here or whoever they decide to send down, then everything shifts for everybody else here. We we let these guys know that from the beginning that you know, I'm counting on you. I need you more nights than not. I'm going to need you. When our assignments are down, um, things change for you. That it even changed for our two ways when those guys are down, depending on how many of them are down. You know, if somebody's coming back from an injury or something, you know, OG may have a setback and he has to come get some games. It changes the dynamic for a Malcolm if he was the, uh, you know, the starter. You know, now he's a reserve. OG's in that spot. That's how it is. We we, we are here. Uh, our existence is to, to help get the Raptors roster better and the fact that these other guys are able to um, you know, benefit from, from us having this, this team and this organization is great, but we, we, we know our priorities. Jerry Stackhouse head coach 905 there uh, on media day. And it was interesting that you know, he's accepted the fact that you know, winning is cool, but I know what my job is and what my role is with this 
with the G League team. I know what it is. That's a big challenge. I think it's a balance for being a G League coach because any coach wants to win. And obviously being a champion and being a coach of the year is great for him. But the real nature of what they're doing is development. And, you know, the success for a coach like him is that if he gets guys who play well and get called up, that's a success for him. But, you know, it was a little different than last year because you probably won't be seeing a lot of the guys coming down. I mean, like OG, Pascal, Norm, DeLon, Fred, they're all part of the rotation yep. for Raptors. Mm-hmm. So. And Bruno now has to approve yep. yes. any assignment, which I, he's probably unlikely to do. I'm really interested to see if the, if the Raptors, I'm not even sure that they tell us about this, even if we ask, but I'm interested to see whether or not they put some pressure on Bruno and ask him to go down and work because we know he's not going to get the repetitions that he probably needs yep. with exactly. the Raptors right now. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great point that you make. Last year, there were a lot of guys. Uh, the, the Raptors utilized their D-League team. I say D. It, it was the D. So you can. It was the D-League team at the time. That's what I've been doing when I refer to it in the past. <laughs> right. yes. I, I talk about D-League and I do the, the future same thing. is G-League. So they utilized their D-League affiliate as much or more than any NBA team last year, whereas this year... We, we heard Stack talk about McKinney. He's probably the one guy that they can send down, that they really right. want to develop, that probably won't be getting the minutes with the Raps. Right. But everyone else, it's all hands on deck with all the, the youth movement uh, off the bench this year. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a challenge. A, a G League head coach, we, we know that the Raptors 905 didn't have a whole lot of success in terms of wins and losses, under Jesse Mermis a couple of years ago and then had all kinds of success under Jerry Stackhouse last year. But that's not the way that they're judged, right? So we right. can't really even say that one is a better coach than the other because both of them contributed to now what we're seeing with the NBA club, mm-hmm. all these young guys that are ready to step up now that they're being called upon. So I think in all, when you look at the Raptors development staff also obviously the front office and the scouting but the coaches their development staff and the job that they've done they put the Raptors organization in in a really good spot not only for the present but for the future yeah and and to your point for those wondering what you're what Josh was talking about with Bruno and how he has to approve it you have to, once you've given three years of service on your NBA roster, even if it's garbage minutes, which is what we've seen Bruno, the moment you've had three years of experience, and it's much like what we saw last season with Jared Sellinger having to be approved to come down, yep. the player has to approve one, the ask, uh, being asked from the team to go down on assignment, and then two, the NBA PA union also has to approve the move being done. So Bruno actually has the power in his hands when it comes to his development and what he so chooses to do. So I, I'm interested to see one, like you said, if the Raptors even make a push for him to go down, and two, how he reacts and what his reaction is. Cause that will, if they ask him on an occasion, it will say a lot about what he thinks of himself and who he is as a player and what he wants to develop as an NBA player if he so chooses, if he chooses not to go down. He Bruno, needs to develop. If Bruno wants to do what's minutes. best for his career, he has yeah. to go down and develop because the Raptors are never going to know. They're not getting enough to see in limited practice time to see if he's got it. And I think as a player, he has to like he still has to continue to grow as a player. It's yeah. about the optics too, right? I mean, the Raptors are all, I feel like Bruno is already on thin ice in the organization. That's yep. just the reality. And yep. if he declines to do something that they're asking him to do yep. for the for betterment his, of yeah. the organization and for the player, it's not going to look good on him. I mean, Bruno is such a unique case though. I mean, the rule was 
just put in place so that experienced players aren't being sent down, but he's not an experienced player. Right. He hasn't played a whole lot, even though he has those three years. So if there's ever going to be an exception made to that semi-rule, it would be in the case of Bruno. He should go down if they ask him to. Yeah, and I think that's why they use the terminology service and not experience yes. to, to get that little little loophole. When we return here on home court, Jack Armstrong will join us to talk everything Raptors and the road trip. Keep in mind 236, who Smith will join us as well to talk everything NBA. Jack Armstrong coming up next right here on TSN 1050's Home Court. Aldridge sends it into the third row. It's a block party here, Matty D. Get that garbage in here! Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Meg McPeak, Josh Lundberg, Dwayne Watson. Joining us now on the line, as he usually does, we bring in the catch, the coach. He's a catch. Jack Armstrong. Jacko, how are you doing now that you're back at home? Megan, I'm doing good. Just doing the laundry, going through the mail. So uh, all that fun stuff when you're gone for two weeks, playing catch-up. You finally got that two-week roadie. Over, it's in the it's in your your rearview mirror. They finished three and three. What impressed you most over those six games, or concerns you the most over those six games about uh, this Raptors squad? I'll do both. Uh, the thing that impressed me is the fact they could have gone five and one. They really had one clunker, the Denver game. I mean, they theoretically could have be, could have won San Antonio and Golden State and kicked those games away in the fourth quarter. I mean, really, those teams were ready to be beat, and. Um, so that's the positive that they were ultra competitive, uh, and and that their uh, their depth is sound, and uh, there's the, the young guys are playing pretty well, and they got through some injuries and uh, you know and, and adversity, and and here they are at five and three with a three and three road trip, and actually could have been better. Uh, so that's that's the check, and I guess the the negative would be even though they shot it well last night, I'm still concerned with their. Uh, you know, you know the style of play they're going to incorporate, and I have no problem with it whatsoever. I like the fact that they're moving the ball more. I like the fact that they're spacing the floor more, using the three-point shot as a floor spacer, and 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 opens things up a little bit more for their offense. And I think that fits kind of what their team could be. I just think they lack probably one shooter, and I think if they had one more guy on the team that could shoot the ball and make the shot let alone shoot it, but make it consistently, I think, uh, I think this, team's, I th- this team can be dangerous. And uh, so that, that, to me, is what, kind of what jumps out of me right now. Some good, bad, and ugly over the trip, as you mentioned, Jacko. And it was such a tough trip uh, so early in the season. Overall, how would you grade how they fared over the last couple of weeks? Oh, I'd say a B. You know, I, I think good. I mean, uh, again, I mean, they could have they could have come home five and one. I mean, they really could have, uh, or a four and two. Uh, but you know, when you go on these trips, and I don't care if there's a back and back. This is my twentieth year doing Raptor games. The first trip I've ever had where we haven't had a back to back six games or what, thirteen, fourteen nights. I don't even know what it was. Uh, you know, so I, I don't care if you've got days off in between. You get road weary after a while, and you just get sick of being on the road, and, and you're away from your family, and all the things that are going on at home when you're not there, and it's just tough. And uh, I think they got through it pretty well. But anytime you go on the West Coast and you you can go uh, three and three or better, I think you've you've done pretty good. And you know what's the key to a good season? Go 500 on the road or better, 
and have a very good record at home. And I, I think if you look at the formula for the Raptors the last four years, they've been pretty good at that. They've been above 500 on the road, and they've been very good at home, and that equals a real good season. And, I, you know, they're 2-0 at home right now, 3-3 three and three on the road, and if they can continue on that pace, you know, what are they, 5-3 and three right now? Just put that uh, together over, of course, 80 games. You're winning 50, 51 games, which is, which is in my opinion, a good season for this team. And, and, it's, and you hope that these young guys get better as the year goes on. Jack, congrats on your 20th season calling the Raps. Yeah, I've survived. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those weren't I, easy, I'm sure. Well, the last four years have been a lot of fun, and uh, the, the, but there were a lot of years that it, they were really bad. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, overall, it's been an incredible experience. So, uh, and I think sometimes we forget how good these last four years have been. I, I started my first year was Vince Carter's rookie year, and that was magical. But as magical as it was, these teams the last four years have had a better run than any of those teams in terms of just a success during the regular season. So it's been a lot of fun. With that being said, though, and seeing how the seasons shape out over the last 20 seasons, what do you take from this part of the season, obviously? Because it's early and some people could say, like, is the Magic going to be where they are come April? Who knows? But what things can you take from this part of the season based on what the Raptors are doing, what other teams are doing, that you could say you can see through the rest of the season? Well, in the Eastern Conference, um, Boston uh, and, and you know Boston. I, I, I just think Brad Stevens does a fabulous job as a former coach. You know, for a guy to get Butler to the NCAA championship game back to back years, and quite frankly, they were doing it honestly. <laughs> uh, that that shows me the guy can flat out coach. Uh, you know what they say about Don Shula? He could take his and beat yours. He could take yours and beat his. Uh, that's Brad Stevens. I think he's that good. I mean, if I were a, a GM of any NBA team, if I were an athletic director at any college program, he'd be he'd be uh, he'd be my number one guy that I'd want. I think he's that good. And you know, you look at losing a, a, a impact guy like Gordon Hayward. They started 0 and 2, and now they've won seven in a row. It's the first team in NBA history to ever do that. And uh, you know, he's got two young players playing with amazing confidence. And uh, they're going to be in the hunt. I thought they were going to fade to the between five and eight slots of the East. I think they're going to be right in the in the hunt for the first seed. Uh, you know, and that's trouble for the Raptors. I think. Uh, I think you know the Cavs. You know, they'll figure it out. I, 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 you know, but the problem for them is right now, as great as LeBron is, that he needed to play forty two, forty three minutes last night in an early season game to do it. But they got some guys banged up. Uh, they'll figure it out. I think they're just kind of like Golden State, kind of going through the motions right now. But uh, you know, and and I guess Orlando would be the team that surprises me. Uh, they've shot it better than I thought, and you know they've been together, and now they're figuring it out a little bit. And I would say Detroit is a team I thought could be good, uh, and they they're playing better than I thought they could. I mean, they had a great win at Golden State. They've had a win at Clippers. I, and you look at uh, what a Drummond last night, 14 to 16 from the free throw line. If he makes a high percentage of free throws, they're going to be tough to beat. Jack, uh, in terms of the wraps, as we know, depth is a good problem to have, but it does put some pressure on the coaching staff to utilize it uh, correctly. 
We've seen Dwayne Casey expand the rotation a little bit over the last couple games, understandably in the altitude. Now that they're coming home, how would you pare down the rotation, or would you, specifically at that center position where we've seen them use uh, JV, Nagara, and Pirtle, uh, all three of them in each of the last two games. Uh, I, I think I think the spot that he's got to have to look at is Fred Van Vliet, in my opinion. Um, I, I just think that uh, with the second unit as good as they're playing, I still think you need a guy that can attract a second defender. I think that's such a key in, in the NBA is to have a legitimate guy that the defense really concerns himself with. And I think if you have a guy with C.J. Miles in that second unit who's legit, like a Kyle Lowry, like we saw with Corey Joseph, then I think some of those minutes got to start going there. And I think that I think they become a better team overall. Maybe bring get Lowry out a little earlier, which they're doing now, and then reinsert him with the second unit. And I, I think Lowry's numbers are down a little bit because I think his numbers are his minutes are down a little bit. But I think he's had a good floor game. I think he's really doing a good job getting guys involved and, and getting other people touches. So I think he's given up some of his offense to get others, and he's really enjoying it. If you watch Lowry's reaction of Pascal Siakam and Jakob Pertl and Lucas Nogueira, I mean, he, he's having fun playing with these guys. He, he's excited about them. So I think that's very selfless on his part, and I admire and respect that. Uh, that would be the one thing. And I think uh, you got to roll with the hot hand. i tell you what, there were times last night that Siakam, Pirtle, and Nagara looked better than Abaka and Valanchunas. So I think you got good internal competition, and in spite of the fact you got a lot of money sunk into Valanchunas and Abaka, and they're your starters, uh, if they're not going that night, I think your loyalty's to winning. And I think you keep that relatively fluid. You give your starters their minutes. They better play well. And if they don't, then you look elsewhere. And to me, I think, again, your only loyalty is winning. Jack, I got, a, I got a fun one for you before we let you go. You're around these guys as much as anyone else, with the exception of them being around themselves. Who is, in this short of time that you've had with them, who would you say is the funniest of all the Raptors players when it comes to the behind the scenes that we as fans and media don't always get to see? Well, I think funny, uh, you know, a guy, you know, the, I think Lucas Nogueira has got a great sense of humor. I think Jonas Valanciunas has a, a very witty uh, sense of humor. Those are a few guys that absolutely jump out at me. Um, guys that are just so upbeat and happy and easygoing. Uh, DeLon Wright is such a pleasant young man and, and Jakob Pertl, both of them are just you know, just real gentlemen and Pascal Siakam. I mean, all their kids are uh, they, I mean, like uh, Fred Van Vliet, they got some good high character guys. I give Masai, Ujiri, and Bobby Webster, Dwayne Casey, I mean, they've really done a good job of, of bringing in, you know, good high character guys and like uh, OG's a, a, a quiet young man uh, but very mature, very serious, uh, nice manners, nice young man. And uh, that, to me, impresses me more than anything else. It's just that I think the Raptors, from an organizational perspective, uh, they're not into dealing with knuckleheads, and they're, and they're into bringing good, high-character, blue-collar, hard-working guys that are respectful and that are good representatives of the team. So uh, there's a lot of fun guys, but there's also guys that are just more than anything else very professional. And to me, uh, that's, that's really nice to see.
Jack, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you in the past 20 years with the Raptors, and here's to 20 more. Amen to that. i got to get back to now doing laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good one, Jack. Thanks, Jack. (laughs) All right, bye-bye. Once again, Jack Armstrong joining us on the line here on Home Court. We continue on at 2.30. Sekou Smith will join us to talk everything NBA. And at 9.30 tonight, the pregame begins right here on TSN 1050. The Argos taking on the Lions. Your CFL action. Home Court returns in a moment.